Let's take a journey back to 2003. Canadian teen sensation Avril Lavigne was topping the charts and turning the music industry upside down. But what if I told you that the Avril Lavigne we know and love might not be the same Avril? What? Did Avril die? Was she replaced by a doppelganger? I'm Joanne McNally and I'm doing a deep dive into a notorious internet conspiracy. Who replaced Avril Lavigne? Listen wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Hey, I'm Tom Power. Welcome to Q. I don't know if you're up on the Oscar nominations, but the best they're, they're out. And I'll, I'll give you the Best Picture nominations right here because it, there's an interesting story in there. So you got American Fiction, Anatomy of a Fall, Barbie, The Holdovers, Killers of the Flower Moon, Maestro, Oppenheimer, Poor Things, Zone of Interest, and in that same category, the debut film by the Canadian director Celine Song, Past Lives. Celine was born in Seoul, South Korea, but grew up in Markham, Ontario. And the film is the story of Nora, a Korean woman who comes to Canada as a child and dreams of being a writer. And 24 years later, she's a playwright. She's living in New York, married to a a white American guy. That world becomes unsettled when her childhood sweetheart, like childhood, childhood sweetheart from Korea comes to visit. Past Lives is not just like a rom-com. It's a delicate film about love, about fate, about connection. And as you might guess, it's inspired by a real-life moment that Celine found herself in. And you got to hear her tell that story. Anyway, like I said, the film is up for Best Picture at this year's Oscars, uh, Best Original Screenplay, too. So we thought it was a good time to revisit our conversation we had with Celine Song uh, when the film first came out. Take a listen. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Uh, congratulations on the film. I really, Thank really you. loved it. Um, it. And it did so well at Sundance. Mm-hmm. How did that feel? How did the premiere feel at Sundance? Oh, it was so magical because I feel like before that moment, like I think you don't know what's going to happen to the movie that you spent uh, so many years uh Making And I think a part of the making of the movie is always like you try not to think about how people are going to receive it. But all you can really do is try to uh, make a movie that feels like true to you and then right to you and that you you like, you know, that you love. And then you hope that once it's done, then you start worrying like, OK, yeah, but then now other people are going to enjoy this. Like mm-hmm. I really I care about this movie, but are they going to care about it as well? So Sunday really Sundance really was a revelation kind of a festival for me because it was a, it was a full house and. Uh, the the reaction and then the way that like people sort of were so connected to the movie that first time I don't think I will ever forget that first time at Sundance it was so special people weren't coughing I mean like I've heard I've heard yeah. first time filmmakers tell me that like when when their film premieres for the first time if someone like <laughs> coughs they're nervous about it or they're you know yes no coughing and I think that like near the end I think that uh, when I could feel that people were moved and some of them yeah. were uh, tearing up or they're having a like a pretty uh, a bit of a physical reaction too. It's interesting that you say, you know, given that it's such a personal film, that people mm-hmm. re- re- related to it that way, given that it's such a personal film. And, it's, and I, I'm, I was hoping you might tell the story. The, the, so the beginning of the film, it's, I've never seen a film framed like expositionally this way before, which is um, so Nora, um, sort of the, the Korean-Canadian uh, protagonist, is sitting, and you don't yet know who she is. She's sitting at a bar uh, at like four in the morning with um, her white American husband and her childhood sweetheart from from Korea. Um, and the, the it's shot from the perspective of someone across the bar quietly going like, so what do you think their story is? And trying to guess how they all know one another. 
This this happened to you? Mm-hmm. Can you tell me that story? Well, you know, I feel like I found myself in a bar in East Village in that exact situation where I was sitting between my child sweetheart from Korea and my white American husband on the other side. And I was also translating between them because they didn't really speak each other's language. Yeah. And I was also... Um, I, f- I was feeling like a bridge and a portal between these two guys too, and all I had to do was just to exist as I am. And I knew both both of them loved me or cared for me in different ways and different degrees and totally different uh, language even. Um, but I knew that just by being who I am, there was something really special happening where these two guys were trying their hardest to sort of understand each other or be with each other. And I think there's a kind of a sense of power that I felt in that situation that I think really was the initial impulse for the film. But the way that the movie begins is that um, it's a way to implicate the audience or to really introduce the audience to the mystery of the film. And the mystery of the film is who they are these people to each other, right? And it doesn't seem like a really big, it's not really a whodunit, but it's not really a really dramatic kind of mystery. But it is a mystery that I think that can sometimes uh, haunt us, right? Because I think that not all connections in the world is easily defined by words like partner, uh, boyfriend, girlfriend, uh, husband, or something like that. Some relationships we have in our lives is uh, really just hard to describe. It's ineffable, and I think that, to me, is what the relationship between Hesung and Nora is. I mean, I, I couldn't help but notice you used the word implicate there. Mm-hmm. Implicate the audience. Like, implicate yes. us in, in that yes. we, we may have our own assumptions about how people can live their lives in our own, you know, by our parents or by what we've seen on TV. And yes. that there's more complexities there. Is that what you mean of by course. implicate? It's a bit of a confrontational thing, right? The implicating means it's like they're a part of the event that this is, that this is which is these three people who... It's really hard to tell who they are to each other in this yeah. bar. And the way that like I, I was thinking is like when I myself was sitting in that bar with my child sweetheart and my husband, yeah. I remember looking around the bar and seeing the way that people were sort of glancing at us and trying to figure out who we are to each other because we are a weird trio. Clearly two of us don't speak the same language. One person is sitting in the middle. It's a triangle, but it's like really polite and it's not really awkward. It's very, it's or at least it's trying really not to be awkward. There's a kind of a warmth to it, but it is strange so i was just looking at them and i remember just really thinking um you know like oh you guys have no clue (laughs) (laughs) you have no clue who we are to each other and second thought was i was like well what if i really did tell you what if i really took the time to tell you who we were to each other and that's how the structure of the film is the the first scene is an implication and a confrontation and a bit of like wouldn't you like to know yeah Uh, and guess what i'm gonna tell you right and then we go back to 24 years earlier, and then we start to uh, live through to basically tell the story of who these people are to each other. And over time, you just uh, the audience, when we are back in that bar, because near the end of the film, we come back to that scene in the bar. You see what? You, you are working towards that scene that you saw at the beginning at the end. Yeah. Exactly. And then there, the I know that the way that the audience is going to be watching that scene is going to be entirely different. Now they're going to have the whole story of their lives to sort of like uh, back up the context of that scene. So everybody's going to be looking at these three people completely differently, even though only about an hour ago or something, uh, you've seen them as strangers just trying to figure out who they are to each other. Now that you have an answer, now the mystery is some kind of solved. But of course, like all mysteries of this kind, uh, it's never going to be completely solved. I'm Tom Power. You're listening to Q. Coming up, more of my conversation with Celine Song.
Hi, I'm Jesse Crookshank. Jesse Crookshank. I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. Girl, let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl. Yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. In narratives, historically, like the idea of like watching a film or watching a, a, a play or something like that, your story would have played out very differently than it did in the film. So like mm-hmm. one of the things I wanted to talk to you about today was just the amount of like nuance in the film and the amount of like how, how it's more similar to how reality would actually play out. And, 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 and I think while I was watching the film, I was watching it with a bunch of like pre- ordained film beats mm. that weren't coming. <laughs> well, okay, yes. let, let me give people listening to this uh, an example. So, you know, uh, as you mentioned, you, you explore the backgrounds of, you know, how, how Nora ends up in the United States to, to begin with. You know, she, she immigrates from Korea to, to Canada with her family, uh, you know, chooses the name Nora, you know, uh, moves to the U.S., and then um, she meets her, meets her. And we're going to talk about the fact that a lot of this happened to you in, in just a second. I was expecting when her childhood sweetheart shows up later to like see her and, and see what was and maybe even like take, take her back and, and fall, you know, so she, I was just waiting for the moment where she says, no, I'm, I am, I'm going to go back to Korea. You know, this is, this is that, that, you know, I've always been in love. That's sort of the story I was ready for. Mm-hmm. Or like the big dramatic, no, I'm going to be here in New York. You know what? This is where my life is. And I love you. And I was, when I was getting ready for this interview, I, I, I read something you said where you something like, I wanted it to be even mm-hmm. between Nora's decision to go back to her childhood sweetheart. I don't think I'm giving anything away because it's not no, really a no, twist. No. Yeah. I wanted it to be even between going back to Seoul with my childhood sweetheart or staying in the U.S. with my husband. Well, I think that it's more that um, the, the kind of, uh, it was just important to me that Nora and Arthur's marriage, which is the Arthur is the person that Nora's married to, um, to be a good one or the one that is worth staying for. So part of that is like at the end of the day, it has to be about love. It's about how much Arthur loves Nora. And part of the way that Arthur expresses love is not through possession. It's not he's not saying it's like, I I have you, you're my wife. You know, that's never the argument that Arthur is giving for why she should be with him. He's saying, like, I know what you need. I know that what you need is for uh, me to accept also that I cannot give you everything. Because I think the part of it is like when we're talking about mystery, also we are mysteries to each other anyway. Like I think that there is no such thing. We're all individuals and we're all mysteries to each other. There's going to be a part of another person that you're never going to know completely anyway. Uh, And part of what Arthur is able to offer is that I know almost everything about you. And I think that the parts that I don't know, I know that I don't know. And that's okay. Not only is that okay, but I have to accept it because I love you. And part of being okay that I love you and it's okay is that um, I know that you have to close this chapter with your childhood sweetheart. I know that you have to to have this goodbye. Mm -hmm. I know you need all this. And I'm not going to stand there and let the feeling that I have, the insecurities I have or Mm -hmm. jealousy I have, get in the way of you being able to... uh, say your proper goodbye. I'm not going to get in the middle of that because I love you too much for that. So having that kind of sentiment 
to me, and being able to not only have the sentiment but to practice it, right, is to me uh, the the is the love is an amazing love story that is also the love story of this movie between Arthur and Nora. But but as a filmmaker, you you did have to reject a certain cliche to that, mm-hmm. right? Yes, of course. I think every every moment of it, it really had to feel like, well, what is the actual way that this uh, would be like, or like how do an ordinary person, how does an ordinary person uh, go through these events actually like this? And the thing is, like, the, the the main part of the story is not like, will they get together? Or will they not? Who will she choose? Or something like that, which I think are uh, just like uh, traditional tropes of a romantic uh, anything. Because I think that's so often we think about uh, romance as something that has to do with dating, which has everything to do with, I think, capitalism, which I think is or some kind of objectification of that person where you're like, I'm trying to get a person. I'm trying to get something. Yeah, I'm trying to get something. I'm trying to have that person. I'm trying to steal that person or take this person. So there is a lot of uh, conversation about what what we call as love story that is actually so much more about taking and getting and that kind of a thing about of a person. But in fact, this movie very much, what was really important to me for this movie is that it has to be about love in its most uh, central and purest form, which is the kind of thing that you can give without asking for anything in return. And and, and the sort of, I mean, that's beautiful. And, and, and the device that is sort of utilized in the film to sort of exemplify that like you can love someone it may just not be the right time or you can love someone even if you aren't going to be with them is the now i wrote it down is, is this korean concept like is it inyan mm-hmm. yeah can you tell me a little bit more about that yeah so the concept of inyan is like a it's not an only a korean concept it's a kind of eastern philosophy concept yeah. and the way that i sort of talk about it sometimes is like uh there in western philosophy the idea of destiny or fate or like the love of your life or something like that is often something that you're trying to go get so there is a kind of a pursuit part of it you go to try to find your destiny yeah but in eastern philosophy so much of it is about something that comes to you you don't have to do anything it just comes it just walks in the door and it's your destiny right so similarly that's where the concept of union comes from it's a very commonplace thought and what it is is um every person who enters your life, every person that you encounter in life is an inyan. Of course, um, the relationship you have with the person who brought you a cup of water at a restaurant, that inyan is maybe a smaller inyan or a thinner inyan than the one you have with your lifelong partner or your parent, for Mm -hmm, example. mm -hmm. But, you know, like you and I on this conversation, like talking to each other, this would count as inyan as Mm -hmm. well. So it is something where every relationship that you have, no matter how brief or how long, can be considered inyan in that way. And this would be stronger than the, someone pouring water on the... Yeah, exactly, because right? yeah, okay, you yeah. and I are actually having a conversation. Yeah, so yeah. I think it's not a matter of like, is it inyan or not? It's more like the degree. But the reason why I wanted to introduce the concept of inyan to this film is because Hezong and Nora in the movie, their relationship is not something that you can really define with the word. Like I was saying, with the word like lover or an ex, because... All they ever did was hold hands as children. Yeah. So they're not really exes. They're not really ex-lovers. It's not really something you can really... But there was something. There was some kind exactly. of... Exactly. But that thing you're talking about, the something, right? The something, the ineffable something, this feeling that I know this person or this feeling that uh, we've known each other for a long time, which mm. is like what we were talking about earlier about the two of them looking at each other, the silences or the gazing at each other. Like those are the kinds of things that you don't have a word for, except... I thought that maybe the concept of inyan could help 
because I thought the idea of inyon is something that you can really name who they are to each other. Who are they to each other is that they are inyon. What, what I find really interesting about this is that we're talking about it in such like a, um, and you're speaking so beautifully about it, but from such a, like a tw- 30,000 feet perspective, a little yeah. bit about like, oh yeah, and like this is how I wanted to tell this story and this yeah. is how, this is how I felt about love in this context and this is how I felt about acceptance and how I felt about, you know, being mindful of sadness while still being able to accept that you love somebody. But it is very <laughs> looming in the corner of the room is yeah. that a lot of this story is, at least rhymes Mm-hmm. With your own story, yeah, it's not a documentary. No, no, but it rhymes. I mean, like the the uh, uh, immigrating. She's a playwright, mm-hmm. like like yourself, Im- immigrating from Korea to Canada at like twelve, mm-hmm. um, moving to New York in your twenties. Also, um, meeting your husband, mm-hmm. who's white, at a, at a writers' retreat in Montauk. This yeah. is all your. This is all your story. Mm-hmm. My my question isn't so much what are the similarities and differences between mm-hmm. you. But it's what did writing the story that's so similar to your own mm-hmm. allow you to maybe explore about your own story? I think that uh, so so much of it, because I do talk about it as like an adaptation of or inspired by. And I think a part of it is, is that like it really made me hone in on a certain truth about what it's like to be uh, myself in a way. And I think a part of it is it's not a question of identity almost. It's almost a conversation about ex- existence. So it felt like how specific I needed to get about uh, the way that it feels to be myself. Uh, and of course, in the making of the movie, it is going to be a different kind of exploration and different kind of forward movement towards becoming a movie, including like, you know, you cast actors, right? I'm not trying to cast actors that's going to replicate something. I'm casting actors who's going to play the characters. So I think that the the bone of it was like the specificity of it, I think, was something that I had to feel very connected to. And I felt like had to be pulled from personal story. And, I, and I'm stuck on what, what, what you said, where you said, um, I wanted this film to feel like what my life felt like as opposed to the facts of my yes. life. Mm-hmm. There's something, there, there, there's a, I mean, I don't even know how to describe that. Mm-hmm. There is the the feeling of the experience of going through what I went through that I'm that is more ac- authentic to me that I can actually probably tell in this film than re-going over the, the exactly. elements, elements of my life. Yeah, because it just has to feel right in telling the story. Okay, well, this is, this is um, um, I mean, I don't really know what else I have to ask you. I mean, this is... <laughs> Is, this is a, a, it's a really, really beautiful film, um, and I, I really loved getting the chance to talk to you about it. It was so fun. This was such a good conversation. Oh, Thank you for talking to me. Get out of here. So good. Come so on. Good. Get out. When so are you going to you do? When are you going to make your Markham film? Is my question. <laughs> I mean, when am I going to make a Markham film? Soon. You know? <laughs> I really, I really loved that. I hope you did too. That's uh, Celine Song, the Korean Canadian director, screenwriter, and playwright. Uh, her debut feature film, Past Lives, is up for Best Picture at the Oscars this year. I don't know if you've seen it yet, but you got nothing to do tonight. Go, go check it out. The other conversation we, uh, even if you have something to do, cancel it. The other, uh, the other conversation we put up today is my conversation with Daisy Ridley. So a couple of things on Daisy Ridley. One, new film. Sometimes I think about dying. Beautiful. Makes you think, as a, I'll tell you, as a loudmouth, as a as a self-described loudmouth, makes me think about all the people who are quiet while I'm while I'm being loud all the time. Uh, it's about the interior lives of the people around you who you might not notice. But also Daisy Ridley. How about this? First big move. First, I don't know. It's like she, she she talks about she had a couple of small roles, but her first real role in anything was the lead role in the Star Star Wars movie, in The Force Awakens. 
I remember asking her, just like, what was that? Because it's so strange, that story, that she goes from obscurity to like global sensation in, in Star Wars. All I could ask her, I thought a lot about this question, all I could ask her was, how was that? How was Star Wars? And she gives the most beautiful answer. So uh, even if you're not a Trekkie, I'm, I'm only joking. Go check it out on our podcast, Q with Tom Power. We'll see you soon. Later on. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.